the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. This is uh, the most socially distant yet uh, emotionally close college football podcast that you're going to find uh, in the world. We we are global. We know that we are listened to all over the place. And I have found myself uh, excited as we have started to dig in to our deep dives. You know, this is the spring gleaning. We do not have spring practice, but we do have a lot of information on these teams. And frankly, uh, we've got more uh, we got deeper knowledge pockets than pretty much any other podcast that you're going to find around. So uh, we appreciate the feedback as we've got the Pac-12 North episode that is already out there. Go and listen to it if you haven't. Today we're doing the Pac-12 South and we are going to continue to work our way uh, through the Power 5 conferences. Notre Dame, Group of Five, Independence, uh, those primary teams that really resonate there. We'll have some NFL draft talk coming up as we get closer to the NFL draft at the end of the month. A uh, lot to get to. few headlines before we get in but first gentlemen uh sitting here on this friday the first one of april how are we feeling you know what i'm worried about right now is i am i'm back in a position where i can be made available for cbs hq hits and i'm supposed to be on an hq hit on monday and uh what what are you guys doing for for your grooming right now that (laughs) thing Things are getting a little bit loose with my with my my grooming situation, and uh, uh, you know I might not be might look like I've been in quarantine for a couple of weeks when I get on the on the old HQ on Monday. So I'm I back. Mean, oh, go ahead, Tom. I was gonna say, luckily for me, even though the only time I've been on HQ, the video wasn't working, so I got dropped. But luckily for me, shortly before all this started, I just gotten a haircut, so I'm not I'm not in any real danger right now. Uh, Barton, I've been overcompensating. I I like I overdress to <laughs> balance. I need, to, I need to rock like a three piece in a pocket square. I I to t- get over I this, brought like, the tie back. Yeah. I I had shed the tie from my CBS Sports HQ getup for I don't know not not a full year, but for through most of last football season. I guess I started last summer. And I think that that was that's my play because if I've got a good looking jacket on and a good looking tie then that'll sort of d- command enough attention. Uh, and plus, you know, uh, you know, unwashed hair can be finagled into a, a, a strong enough style that you can, uh, you can get your eyes on the camera. So that's my move, man. I'm, I'm just overcompensating with what I'm wearing. In some ways, this is sort of nice. Like I, I was starting to get a little high and tight just to try to clean myself up a little bit. But, you know, at heart, 
I'm more of a luxurious main kind of guy. Yeah. And so the flow, the flow is 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 starting to to show again. You know, kind of the, the the lettuce patch is is in full force. And so I'm, I'm I may look back at this time and be thankful I was forced to um, to get back out of uh, out of that buttoned up clean cut world. Uh, as we, we remember, we are going to be doing the Pac-12 South uh, in this one, but one of our big headlines actually comes from uh, the Pac-12 North, and I I was glad for CBS Sports HQ purposes, among others, that uh, I was prepared for this thanks to our podcast as Anthony Brown, the former Boston College quarterback, uh, is going to be transferring to Oregon. Now, this has not been officially announced. The reporting coming from Yahoo Sports, I believe Pete Thamel had the uh, initial report. But, but the, Anthony, Brown's, Anthony Brown has officially announced He it. has? Okay, Oregon has yeah, not yeah. officially announced his arrival yet. I don't think they can until he's like actually enrolled because I don't think he actually signs anything. Got it. He, so sometime in November. Yeah, well, exactly. Uh, we had a little bit of confidence, not a little bit, we had some confidence in Tyler Shuck as a a competent um, as a competent quarterback for this Oregon offense that should be able to, with Joe Moorhead and with some of the pieces that, you know, you got to turn over a lot on the offensive line, but there, there didn't seem to be a lot of, um, no, no one was uncomfortable with Oregon's quarterback position with Tyler Shuck leading the way. Now Shuck has to compete against Brown. Uh, Barton, you wrote a story for 24-7 Sports, sort of diving a little bit deeper into this, even beyond some of the headline and the news. Uh, I'll let you take first crack at it. Like When you see the – when you add Anthony Brown to that quarterback room, do you see that as a more intriguing competition, or do you see that as maybe if you were handicapping it, Anthony Brown shows up as the favorite? I think Anthony Brown's the favorite because I think Anthony Brown's a starting caliber quarterback uh, in the power five. And I don't think that he would have gone to Oregon if he didn't think he had a good shot. If he didn't get some sort of a wink and a nod that look, we, we, we think you got a good shot at winning this job. I also don't think it's a given that he wins the job. Um, I mean, you've watched a lot of ACC chip and uh, I've, I've certainly peek my head in at some BC games here and there. And, and Anthony Brown does flash mm-hmm. in terms of like arm talent, uh, athleticism. He, he can, he can throw it down the field effectively, I think. And, uh, and, and I, but I was, I was curious what sort of coaches thought about him. And I love this time of year because you can get coaches because <laughs> they have nothing else to do. And so I hit up several that had played against BC, and I was actually kind of – I expected a little more indifference, a little more of, uh, he's okay. Um, but but there was – and I got a little bit of that, but primarily it was pretty positive. It was pretty um, – in fact, there were a couple that, that said, I love the guy. I think he's great. And, and so I, I think the – like the one way to look at it from Anthony Brown's standpoint and from an Oregon standpoint is what he was playing with at Boston College, what they wanted to do on offense. You know, that's a that's an offensive line, run game, tight ends, heavy offense. It's a that's the scheme, that's the personnel. They didn't really ask him to do a lot. Um, 
I talked with Quincy Avery too, who's his quarterback coach, who he's Sean Watson's quarterback coach, and you know has trained Justin Fields and a lot of these guys, and he he thinks very like he was um, made no bones. He said he's gonna, I think he's going to be one of the best passers in college football next year. Look, I, I understand that that's a probably a biased opinion because he works with them, but he thinks very highly of his ability and his processing ability. So I think the skill set is there for him to be a a, a quality starter at Oregon. The question is, how quickly can he adapt? How quickly can he learn Joe Moorhead's system? In that sense, he's no further behind than than Tyler Shuck. Um, and so you probably give him the edge even just in that sense. Coming in, both learning a new system, he's at least has some experience as a starting quarterback at Power 5 level. Um, and so I think if you're Oregon, it's, it, it's encouraging. What I wrote in my piece was, look, at the very least, you know that if Tyler Shuck wins the job, that Tyler Shuck has has earned that, and mm. it's not just it's not just being handed to him. So I think you just like the idea of generating some competition in that room if you're Oregon. What do you think, Tom? Tom? Oh no! Did we lose him? Hello? No. There oh yeah, is. there okay. he is. Yeah, sorry about that. I don't know. I was talking. I heard you guys. Anyways, the thing we have to consider is that you know. When's Brown going to be able to get on to actually practice with the team? So I, I don't right. know if I can consider him the favorite for the job. I think at this point, I mean, Oregon had been connected to Jamie Newman when he first announced. So clearly they were they were interested in finding a more experienced guy. And I do think that in in a normal offseason, Anthony Brown is probably coming in as the favorite. And at least, you know, he, maybe he's not being handed the job, but you have to look at it as a competition once he gets in there with his experience. I mean... There's a reason Oregon was in the market for a grad transfer quarterback. And I think that he did do a lot at Boston College, even though he didn't have, he wasn't really in an offense that was looking for him to push a lot. And if you look at his numbers through Sports Info Solutions, his on target rate year to year was typically a lot higher than his completion rate, which says more about wide receivers. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that if you just look at Brown's raw numbers, you don't really get a great idea of who he is. The problem is just going to be how much time is he going to get with this team and this offense before the season starts? And will he have a chance to get implemented or is he just going to end up kind of being veteran depth for a while? Cause I mean, that's the thing. If Tyler shock does get the starting job, if you look behind him on Oregon's depth chart, it's not like they've got a ton of experience because Justin Herbert has been the dude there for the last four years. So Shuck's the only one that's really had any actual relevant game snaps in that time period. That's still on the team. So Brown, at the very least, provides you with insurance if Shuck doesn't work out or if he gets hurt. And it, that would allow him more time to actually become acquainted with the team, If it, it depending on when he's actually able to get there. Like if, if somehow things open up in late June and he's able to get on campus in July and go through summer camp and all that kind of stuff, maybe he opens the season as a starter. I just think that looking at things right now, it's hard to see that happening. But, but in, like my point is – in a way, the, if if not for Joe Moorhead being a new offensive coordinator, I would I would fully agree with you. But because there's a new OC in town, like Chuck, other than just having a familiarity, I guess, with the other players, doesn't really have a leg up in terms of his experience within the offense. And so, I, in a way, that the presence of the new OC makes me that much more confident that even if True. they don't get on campus, that he is just as prepared and uh, and, and, and equipped to, to win the starting job. 
Steve, Steve Adazio had some quarterbacks at Boston College that he like they yeah they definitely want to build from the offensive line and they wanted to you know have the have the offensive line in the run game sort of be where everything else is built out but he also wanted to get things going more up tempo and when he finally got a quarterback that he had a lot of confidence in I mean there were probably a handful of games each season where Anthony Brown had like 25 30 30 plus even like 35 plus pass attempts where they were marrying not only an up-tempo attack not only trying to lean hard on that uh, aj Dillon powered run game but also allowing there to be some play action off of that allowing anthony brown to to spread the ball around even if as tom mentioned he didn't have the most talent at wide receiver I, i the boston college coaches loved him after his freshman year and they were like, this guy is going to be someone who can start for four years and leave Boston College at holding records. Like, be, be one of those across his four-year career uh, so strong and so consistent that he could go down, statistically at least, as, as one of the best quarterbacks in Boston College history. And the from like an analysis point of view, I do think it is important to mention, and this isn't the NFL draft. Like, we're not... We're not trying to put red flags on people, but he his freshman year and his junior year season-ending knee injuries. Like if he can be healthy, and if he if he can be healthy for an entire season, this is absolutely uh, a big time bonus for uh, for Oregon. But you know, Oregon weren't weren't Jamie Newman and Anthony Brown working out together? Yeah, yeah, I think they were. Yeah, yeah. so Oregon showed up, and he was like, well, I like both these guys. Jamie Newman goes to Georgia. They get Anthony Brown. The Anthony Brown was a little bit hurt and a little bit limited in some of his workouts, and so I, I understand if he wasn't the the first pick there, but I, I don't think that this is by any means uh, a player who – He's he's a player who, if 100% healthy, if he's able to come in and get comfortable with the system, like could very well be the kind of quarterback that can lead Oregon to a Pac-12 title. Can he lead them to an undefeated season? I don't think so. Uh, does he change the way that I think that that Ohio State game, if it were to be played, is going to break? I don't think so. But when you're looking at comparing Oregon to the rest of the Pac-12, like Anthony Brown is going to be as much of a candidate to be one of a top tier quarterback within his that conference uh as tyler shuck could be does that make sense so you know what I, yeah and, and as you were talking i was just thinking this like this this all makes me like i have i have this this question lingering in my head that i'd love to know the answer to because when you think about the teams that we on the outside looking in would assume would be tempted to dip into the transfer quarterback market because they were equipped to win quickly, just need sort of a quick fix. I mean, obviously Georgia is one. Oregon is one. Uh, you know, I don't know if you count Miami. I mean, Miami needs more than just a quarterback, I guess. But obviously quarterback was a big issue. You know, Miami went and got one. Um, the the I don't know who else I'm missing. Like, if you can think of any other teams that... that we, we got one in the Pac-12 been, South that we're probably going to talk about. Who? Uh, Utah, Jake Bentley. Utah got one. Um, so I guess the the, the school that, that I, I haven't mentioned, where there would have been an assumption that that perhaps they would have dabbled is LSU. And so what I wonder is with all these with these other schools now now some of these chips falling in these other schools' laps here. 
and and they have this this competition or the starters that that have arrived. Did that, does that mean that LSU sort of tested the market, didn't like what they got, or or does does LSU does that mean they didn't really test the market? And LSU, and maybe this tells us a lot more about their confidence in Miles Brennan versus say Oregon's confidence in Tyler Shuck. Because look, I mean, Oregon Oregon can still think Tyler Shuck is a starting quarterback, but. Anthony Brown isn't going to go somewhere where a school thinks they have a superstar, sure. Because he's going to get some sort of indication. Not that he's going to, not necessarily he's going to be the starter, but he's got a good shot at winning the starting job. So I just wonder if this can, if if just the way these chips have fallen can tell us a little something about where LSU feels about Miles Brennan. Because you would expect that if LSU had had dangled the carrot out for somebody to to come play in this offense, it would have been a pretty uh, pretty easy sell. Well. Speaking of LSU and the transfer market, our, our other headline before we dive into our spring gleaning in the Pac-12 South is that they did get one. And Ed Ogeron, they got 22 signees in the class, so they've got a couple available. And Coach O made, you know, was was not shy about saying like, yeah, we are going to be looking uh, into the grad transfer uh, portal into the transfer portal into the grad transfer market to see uh, where there might be an option, and they. They, they got what appears to be on paper, and I, I cannot say that I've got detailed uh, scouting reports on the North Dakota State Bison, but they this is a player who's won three national championships, has been a three-time FCS All-American, and just, rec- and just this past season in 2019 was the Missouri Valley Conference Defensive Player of the Year. His name is Jabril Cox, and so he brings a lot of accolades and hardware to LSU, and he's also... Uh, not not necessarily there's a lot of players at the linebacker position who might be capable but it is also a linebacker position that has um that lost a lot of experience jacob phillips gone patrick queen gone caleb on chasen gone uh, those those are three very very important players to the lsu defense he links back up with bo pelini uh the new defensive coordinator at lsu former youngstown state head coach Cox himself said, told 24-7 Sports that his, quote, coming out party uh, as a sort of a star player actually happened against Youngstown State, and so he's excited to to get in there. Um, yeah, for for LSU to be bringing in a, a player like this, I, I kind of look at the 2020 season and the, the Miles Brennan questions, and I, I just wonder if uh, Coach O... And, and this Tiger staff mu- must feel good enough about you know what's going on in a lot of other positions if they're going to be cool with Miles Brennan and feel like well you know what we're just we're just going to beef up at, at these other positions as well. Uh, Tom, as you are looking at the LSU defense, which loses a ton, uh, how do you how do you factor your um, your adjustment on looking at LSU's defense with the addition of Cox? I mean, I'm I'm like you. I can't give you a detailed scouting report on Cox. I didn't watch North Dakota State enough to know, but I will say, if this is like any context for it, when I saw that Jabril Cox had committed to LSU, I knew who Jabril Cox was because I, you know, from when you do watch North Dakota State, he's been the best player on their defense. But I mean, I I, I think that this is clearly, it's you know, it's it's a pickup that they felt they need. It's a pickup of a guy who will probably be playing for LSU when the season starts. I mean, and I don't think he's going there or they're going after him with any other plan. It's just 
I don't think that Jabril Cox is the level of player that's going to, you know, fix things. I still think that he's a going to be a part of it, and I still think there's a lot more questions on there. But you know, there is a lot of talent on that roster, so I'm I'm more interested in the secondary because they've got a ton of great they've got you know great players in the secondary they got Derek Stingley it's just you lose Delpit you lose Fulton and I think that particularly in the SEC West these days when you're going up against Alabama and now even with Georgia in the SEC East with what they're planning to do in the offense the secondary is becoming more and more important in defensive football every single year. So for me, I think that Cox bringing him in at linebacker is going to be good. I think that's going to help up front, but I'm still more concerned about LSG secondary going forward than anything. Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess the safety position is an area where some guys need to step up. I mean, I know Christian Fulton is gone at corner. Cordell Flott, I think, had a pretty good freshman season. I think I think they got some good corners, um, and they always recruit so well at DB. I think experience matters, but like to me, yeah, like, I, this is as good as as good as his. Look, the kid was highly coveted, so I mean, we 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 know he is legit talent because of all the schools that wanted him as a grad transfer. Uh, but I also think whenever transfers come in from FCS, it's just hard to know when they're coming to a program like LSU, but. I think this just adds depth as much as anything. I assume he's a starter, and I assume he's really good. Um, but this is just another body with a bunch of really talented ones already there. Um, but LSU still, like, it's still that that, that they've got a lot of um, a lot of questions and a lot of really good players. But they're all young and inexperienced, and we'll, you know, I, I think they'll be good. But it's it's a lot to ask for them to match what happened last year. Is Marcel Brooks one of those guys? He got some burn when Michael Divinity was suspended. Yeah, he he yeah, he'll be a, he'll be a, I think a guy this year. Yeah. He he was a he was a five-star guy for us. He's talented. We'll uh we'll go a little bit deeper in on uh, on LSU and the the rebuild uh to be able to look at their 2020 picture next week, so uh be sure to stick around for that. Coming up on the other side, our spring gleaning takes a look at the Pac-12 South. Next. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right. So we'll, uh, similar to like we did with the Pac-12 North, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll tackle this from uh, the way the final standings went, which means that we begin with the Utah Utes, 11-3 and overall, 8-1 and in conference play. This is back-to-back division titles, six straight bowl seasons for Kyle Whittingham, nine wins or more in five of those six years. Uh, let's, let's see. All of that said, a lot of positives. How about this? Andy Ludwig comes back and great results on offense. They go from number 66 in yards per play offense in 2018 uh, up more than 50 spots oh excuse me up more than 40 spots to number 14 in 2019 but as we look ahead 
we're going to be losing Tyler Huntley, who's been a big part of the success on offense. We're losing Zach Moss, who's been a big part of the success on offense. Uh, as we mentioned a little bit earlier in the show, Jake Bentley arrives through the graduate transfer market. So he steps in uh, as Andy Ludwig's new signal caller. But as as we look at the Utah, there's two two questions that I have. Number one, are how much stock or you know, how do you make sense of the disappointing finish to the season? Uh, there was the 37-15 loss to Oregon, which was a little bit closer than the final score indicated. But then just, I mean, I'm not trying to be mean about it, but a little bit of a no-show appearance in a 38-10 to loss to Texas in the Alamo Bowl. So for being one spot out of the college football playoff, disappointing finish with those losses in the Pac-12 championship game and the bowl game. Do you think that that carries over? Does that carry any significance for you? And then the the second part of this is, should we expect the success of the last half decade uh, being one of the dominant powers in that division, the Pac-12 South, should we expect this of Utah on a year-in, year-out basis, or is it as much a result of what else is going on with some of the teams in that division? And uh, I guess, I mean, Barton or Tom, whoever, whoever wants to take this, those are, those are sort of my burning questions for Utah. I think if you look at what happened at the end of last year, the bowl game, the Alamo Bowl, it's not all the difference than what different than what happened with Texas and Georgia the year before in the Sugar Bowl. Georgia was about to be in the playoff, missed out, kind of came into the bowl game, you know, deflated. Utah was close to being in the playoff, missed out, kind of came into their bowl game, deflated. But I think just overall, if we look at this Utah team, and we spent a lot of time talking about it, it really wasn't so much about their resume as much as it was how they were beating the teams that they were supposed to beat because they were just kicking everybody's butt. But at the same time, you can't look past the fact that when they got into the upper tier of you know competition, they lost. Their three losses were to USC, Oregon, and Texas, which were three of the better teams that they had played all season long. So I don't think we completely dismiss that. And looking at this program, I mean, I don't think this is a team that's going to just reload. And you mentioned, like, you know, Tyler Huntley's gone. Zach Moss is gone. But there are a lot of other players gone. In Connolly's returning production rankings, Utah's dead last. Like, mm. it it ranks 105th on defense, and it's 130th or on offense. It's 130th on defense. They have two returning starters from last year's defense, which is a very good defense. And if there's any silver lining, it's that most of the offensive line is back, or at least there's a lot of experience returning on the offensive line. And for me, when it comes to offenses, I don't mind losing skill position like running backs and receivers that much if your offensive line is back. I think Huntley's the biggest thing they have to replace. And you mentioned Jake Bentley. And am, am I going to fall in love with Jake Bentley again? Because he broke my heart a few times in South Carolina. <laughs> and and I don't want him to do it again. Don't, don't do it. Don't do well, it. In fact, please don't. I'm going to take it a step further and say, like, where's the betting line for who's the starting quarterback going to be at Utah? I'm like, I don't think there's any guarantee he even wins the job. Wow. There's like the, there's a red shirt senior name, like Drew Lisk, who was, I think their backup last and there's year. There's Jason Shelley too, who filled in for Huntley at times last year. Too. Or Shelley, I guess Shelley was the main backup last year. Shelley's still there. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Cam Rising is or the no, You know that, what? Did Jason Shelley transfer? I think Shelley might transfer. I don't think he's there. 
I think it's Bentley, Cam Rising, and Drew List because Cam Rising came from from Texas. <clears throat> was the transfer from Texas that was the backup there? Yeah, um, he could win that job, and so I, I just like I think that's like like you said, offensive line. That's encouraging. Um, I think they've got some talented running backs that haven't been super experienced that that can get the job done in a, in an Andy Ludwig offense. And they've got a lot of really experienced and pretty talented receivers back. So I think if the court, I mean, that's a big if like, but if the quarterback is consistent and settled and reliable, I, I think the offense could be better than people are expecting. Um, I think the big question and you alluded to it, Tom, I mean, like 130th, whatever in the country in returning production on defense. That's a, that's a lot that they lost. Uh, encouraging or not, like they, they've got some very, some true freshmen that will be very equipped to play in terms of just ability. Like they had a, they had a class that has got some, some elite dudes in it. Um, Clark Phillips, is a cornerback out of California that was committed to Ohio State. Top 50 kid. Ohio State wants him, wanted him. He flipped on them to Utah. Um, that's a kid that I think could play. Nate Ritchie could be a kid that starts as a true freshman at safety. Uh, they've got a, a defensive line. They've got a couple of defensive linemen that are four-star kids. One of them who I, I love, you guys would love too. He drives like a He's got like a, a mullet with like racer stripes on the side. He drives like a <laughs> uh, what, what, what do they call those like Camaro like a like a, a car with a truck bed. Oh like, oh, an El Camino. Yeah, I think he drives one of those. Maybe like he's just a or maybe he drives a pickup truck. No, he looks like he would drive an El Camino, but I think he drives a pickup truck. Like just that kind of guy. I think they've got some players that can play as true freshmen, but this is. I don't know. Like I know this isn't really our uh, win totals pod, and I don't even I, I don't even want to know what their their number is because I'm sure some offshore books have put something out to this point. But there will be a temptation to take an under on whatever Utah's number is because that, that was a pretty that was a pretty perfect year. Things lined up pretty well for them, and they're they're losing a lot. Yeah, and like I mentioned with LSU, how I'm concerned about them replacing key players in their safeties. Utah's entire secondary is gone. And I mean entire. Both starting corners, both starting safeties, nickel corner, all are gone. This is the regression year, basically. Like that's not yeah, a like, yeah, that, that's not that is both a uh an acknowledgement that some of these we I mean I can expect some of these other teams in the Pac-12 to start to get their act together and, and moving things in, in the right direction, but then also uh an acknowledgement that you Utah, and I think you almost hinted at it, Tom, like it's just not a program right now that is going to reload and remain a top 10 program. And regression might mean that Utah is a top 30 program or top 35 program. Like I don't expect a bottom falling out year, but seven and five would not surprise me. Yeah. I mean, I still think this team is getting to a bowl game, but I think that it's going to look a lot more like the 2017 team than the 2019 team. The, 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 2019 season was the most Utah of all Utahing that has ever been Utahed, and <laughs> 63% of the production from that team is gone. So that doesn't leave a whole lot of Utahing left. So it's gonna be it's gonna be perhaps a challenge. 
I've got to uh, cut a trailer for the Cover Three podcast uh, here in the next you know couple weeks. That's that's a pretty good soundbite right there, Barton. In a world without sports, <laughs> the, the you t- you three men twice <laughs> a week to talk about them. This is actually like this podcast actually is truly the highlight of recording it is the highlight of my weeks because I get to close the door to my little closet office and no one's allowed to disturb me and we are allowed to forget about coronavirus and just talk as if everything is okay and all that matters is college football. Yeah. And shout out shout out to the listeners who have checked in the last few weeks just letting us know that too. I don't know if how many messages you guys have getting, but a lot of people have coming in saying that they're they're very grateful to still have us going right now. So thanks for listening. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Hey, and how about this? Everybody, if you like it, tell one friend. I know that friends friends are asking for recommendations right now. How about everybody who's listening? Just tell tell one friend that uh, this will be a great way to get you through. I mean, we've we're doing this one division at a time, y'all. We got we got calendars filled up. We're good. <laughs> uh, all right, let's uh, we'll turn our attention to USC. Uh, for all the hand wringing around Clay Helton throughout the year and even after the season, this team was one Pac-12 win away from their second Pac-12 title game appearance in three years. Now, all that said, an eight and four regular season should not be considered a success for USC football. So we, I understand uh, the frustration, but the losses, they were at BYU, at Washington at Notre Dame and against Oregon, but that Oregon one, a little bit embarrassing, 56 to 24, kind of showed the separation. We remember that this was uh, wild from the quarterback position as JT Daniels goes down, Keaton Slovis comes in, uh, we even get Keaton Slovis gets injured, but by the end of the season, I think Keaton Slovis has really proven himself to be uh, a top quarterback talent, particularly under the leadership of Graham Harrell as offensive coordinator. USC gets a big boost in that Graham Harrell while reports connected him to the NFL and potentially even the Texas job. He decides to remain in Los Angeles uh, working for Clay Helton. And speaking of Texas, we got a new defensive coordinator as they're bringing in Todd Orlando, uh, who Tom Herman let go at the end of the season. They lose Michael Pittman, a Bolitnikoff Award finalist at wide receiver, Austin Jackson and Drew Richmond on the offensive line, Christian Rector, among others, on the defensive side of the ball. But man, and they were banged up like all over the roster throughout the season. But I, I counted it up, and there's 15, either 15 or 16 players back who started at least seven games this season. Uh, two the sort of two questions here. There's uh, the the every year you know big USC questions about. I don't even think we're asking back, but is USC good enough to uh, to to keep the Clay Helton experience going? But the the beginning of it is uh like Barton like J T Daniels or Keaton Slovis who you got? But speaking of quarterback competitions, like what's what's going to happen here for USC? Well, I don't know how you don't go with Keaton Slovis. Um, I would expect Keaton Slovis to be the starter. And 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 if and, and I mean like, I wonder had there been a vote. I think they're pushing that vote on the transfer deal, right? Like whether you get a one-time waiver or a one-time waived situation where you can transfer without sitting out, right? 
uh, I wonder I wonder what that would have done with a JT Daniels uh, situation. You know, if if they had voted in April, hey, all transfers can are free to to transfer freely for you know one one time. Does JT Daniels pack up his stuff and go be the starting quarterback at I don't know where we talked you know, LSU LSU yeah. Um, so, but anyways, I think it's gonna be Keenan Slovis. I, I do think so. Like, what was last year the year that you put you that you succumbed to the sirens of USC and put him in the playoff the playoff ship? Yeah. Like okay, and I gave you all kinds of hell because I had succumbed to the sirens the year before and put him in the playoffs. Um, and I'm not gonna succumb to the sirens and put him in the playoff, but this could be a really good team. And I, and so spring practice would have been nice. To just see if they're making those strides. I mean, they're they've they got depth. Assuming JT Daniels sticks around, they have good quarterback play and depth. They have one of the best wide receiver rooms in the country still, even with uh, Michael Pittman gone. Um, they have one of the best. I think they probably have one of the deepest running back rooms in the country with Vi Malapai and and Stephen Carr and. Uh, what was my man's name? The power back, the freshman from um, from Indian from Indiana, um, who I'm blanking on right now. But they they've like they they got like like five running backs that they can roll with. Offensive line, they got to replace a couple of offensive tackles. Marquee but they've got Step. experience. Yeah, Marquis Step. Yeah, yeah, Marquis Step, who's like the power back there. And so they're 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 stacked on offense with maybe the exception of offensive tackle and. They needed to get in the transfer portal for that, maybe, um, which is another sort of complication with this no spring practice, no with the, the quarantine stuff. Like who's who is getting the clarity they needed to to, to explore the transfer portal um, that they would have had with with the spring practice to work on. So, um, and then defensively, just across the board, they're all names that I, I'm excited about that I thought were really good players coming out that I think are going to be really good players. And if USC hasn't just stunted their development then I think they're going to flash. So this is a really good roster, and I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how tempted I'm going to get. I don't know. Uh, We'll see. (laughs) Yeah, I think – I mean, I'm not picking him for the playoff either, but I do think that there is a tendency with USC for everybody to move – too far one way or the other, whether it's negative or positive. Or, you know, sometimes you see somebody like Chip picking him to be in the playoff, and other times everybody's just writing him off completely. I, I think that this is a team that has a chance to be really good this year. Like, Bart, you just said, there's a ton of talent on this team. Most of that talent is back, and they par- play in a conference where Utah, who was the big bad bully on the block last year, is very much rebuilding in a, for the, in most likelihood there's nobody else in that division, save for maybe Arizona State, that you can look at and say, okay, this is a team on the come up. This is a team you need to look out for. And in the Pac-12 North, I mean, it's like Oregon is really the, the only team that you can look at in the Pac-12 and say right now, 100% like certainty that that team's going to be better than USC. Right. Is everybody Pac- else? Yeah, go ahead. Is the Pac-12 South the worst division in college football? It might Do be. Do you think this fall? It might be. It might. It could be, yeah. Because you, if we expect Utah to take a step back, we're going to dig into some of these others. 
like spoiler alert. Yeah, I mean Colorado and Arizona. Yeah, Colorado and Arizona and UCLA should be wins. If you think Utah's taking a step back and that's a dub there, Arizona State's the only threat to USC. That's a hot yes. take, but that is what yeah, I, I said. No, I think I mean that's when I look at the Pac-12 South, the, the, the there's there's two candidates that could win it, I think. Is Arizona State and USC. I don't I can't see a scenario where the other ones anyone else wins the wins the division. Yeah, I, I think that the thing that this team needs to work on is you mentioned the running backs. They 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 have really good running backs, but they weren't able to run the ball last year. They averaged three point nine three yards per carry, which ranked ninety-third in the nation. I think you gotta get better at that. And then defensively, they've brought in Todd Orlando, so it's gonna be interesting to see if that defense could take a step forward because they allowed nearly thirty points per game last year. So they have way too much talent on defense to be allowing that many points every single week. So if if the running game can improve a little bit, if the defense could take a step forward with Todd Orlando this is a team that, again, I'm not picking them for a playoff, but this is a team that could be in the Pac-12 championship with a chance to win a conference title. Yeah, it's more like just if you're picking against USC, be wary. Like, be like, oh, don't be too virulent <laughs> about it. Just like, yeah, I don't think they're going to yeah. be good. Don't say, oh, they're trash, bro. They're trash. Like, you do realize that the other teams have to win games for USC to not be in there. Like right. picking picking the un and I you know again we don't know where the the win total is going to be set, but picking the USC under means that again I'm not I don't have the schedule pulled up in front of me, but it means that you've got more confidence in Arizona, Colorado, and Utah than I do, and in UCLA than I do right now. Agreed. Speaking of UCLA, uh, UCLA bananas team. Okay. Chip Kelly, this is year three for Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly so far has not won a non-conference game. 0-6. Now I'll give you, I'll give you that they, uh, Fresno State and San Diego State, very, very good Mountain West teams, especially in the seasons that they played them, both 10-win teams. Cincinnati has been very good. And then the other one, uh, two losses to Cincinnati, two losses to Oklahoma, San Diego State and Fresno State. I, I will say those are all very good teams. That is tough scheduling, uh, a tough hand for Chip Kelly, but still just looks weird. Uh, three and nine and then three and six last year, four and eight, and then four and five. So one win increase in conference wins and also overall wins. It feels like the uh, Joshua Kelly running back is gone after 2000 yard rushing seasons. This is the, you know, this is the year for Dorian Thompson Robinson. If he's gonna, if he's gonna be, uh, if he's going to be close to the ceiling of wherever that ceiling has been set, and it seems that it's been moving up and down uh, as his career has has progressed at UCLA. Uh, now's it, man. So year three for Dorian Thompson Robinson, I think, is a, a big headline here. Our expectations for UCLA don't seem to be high at all. I, you know. Very much like a middle-of-the-pack type team, and I don't mean that necessarily from a Power 5 level. I would say that's even across like all of college football type level. I just don't see what is elite, but at the same time, there's enough good players and they've had enough results uh, in the last two years to think that they're not just going to get totally mowed over by the competition. So, I mean, like a, among the Pac-12 teams in the state of California – uh, I think UCLA is probably 
the la- I, like UCLA is not going to be better than Cal. UCLA's I don't know if UCLA is going to be better than Stanford. That answer might be no too. But you know, just sort of like does does UCLA have a ton to prove? Does do they even have pressure in twenty twenty to cont- to take another big step forward? First, okay. I want to start with a bold prediction. Okay. They're going to get that non-conference win this year because they <laughs> open the season at home with New Mexico State. There you go. Problem is, their other two non-con games, and honestly, UCLA, what the hell are you doing? Your other two non-con games are at Hawaii and at San Diego State. You're playing two of your three non-con games on the road. What the heck? It's a group of five. It's a like group of, quality group of five. Yeah. Like, who, who's in charge of putting this schedule together? I need to talk to you about how we do things around here. But, yeah, I, I don't have high expectations for UCLA. You know, Chip, you mentioned Chip. He, Chip Kelly is 7-17 and 17 through his first two seasons. He's 7-11 and 11 in Pac-12. But, like, what do we think of Chip Kelly as? He's like an offensive innovator, right? Uh, yeah, I don't Alleged, know. I'm allegedly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alleged, that's that's losing. Allegedly. I'm I'm whatever what we think of Chip Kelly is being rewritten right now uh, with this UCLA experience. It was like, what is Chip Kelly? It's like, oh, he's a he's an interesting football coach. He's had some success yeah. at some places at different times. In Jim Morris' final season, UCLA scored thirty two point five points per game. In Chip Kelly's first season, that fell to twenty four point six. So a full eight points. And last year, UCLA scored 26.7 points per game. Where is this offense that is suppo- he was supposed to be bringing to Brentwood? I I don't know. You mentioned DTR. I have no idea what DTR is. This, this should be like a big year for him, but I think it's a big year for Chip. If these two don't figure it out and get things together, I mean, there's probably not going to be a year four for him. There's mm. a thought experiment. Let's just say that Chip Kelly and UCLA – go four and eight again this year um so i i'm assuming that he probably doesn't even get fired so that's not even the point of this i'm I'm not asking what gets him fired but let's say they go five and seven the following year or six and six or whatever and then he gets fired point being like let's take let's go to a place where chip kelly has gotten fired from ucla what do you think chip kelly's next job is where does chip where does chip kelly go from here Offensive coordinator. Offensive coordinator for like a powerhouse? I don't know if it'd be a powerhouse, but I think that he would get a shot to just do what he's supposed to be awesome at, and that's put together an offense and not have to be the guy in charge of a program. Which then the funny thing is like he's been the I think the being in charge of a program and the sort of modern new age player development approach is one of the things that he he uh, seems to be really passionate about um i almost just wish he'd get back in the lab and just you know start going really fast again and doing whatever was working at oregon um but with that with that said so like we're supposed to find some confidence in ucla why like you, you said the numbers tom like they're not good so uh, the on-field results aren't supposed to give us confidence. The recruiting isn't supposed to give us confidence. So, okay, well, well how about the uh, upping the, the budget for meals 5X what Jim Mora was, was, was um, spending and the sleep training and the 
sports psychologists and all the player development stuff that is supposed to be going on at UCLA and and the reason why like their their budget is all out of whack. Well, like say goodbye to all that with our our current quarantine situation. Mm-hmm. So it's like what you know they had no spring practice. Um, you know, I was betting on that stuff a little bit last year, early in the season. I was someone that felt like UCLA was going to be good just because I, I just, you know, I was, I thought Chip Kelly might have been growing a little bamboo in the backyard. <laughs> I, this is, I don't, I don't know how you're going to water that bamboo when you got all these big plans and the guys aren't even going to be on campus maybe until June at best, maybe not ju- till July. So, um, I don't know. Like that's that's concerning to me. And then when I just look at UCLA's roster, it just it it look like there's some players. Don't get me wrong. There's a couple like Demetric Felton's a dude. Um, you know, I think Sean Ryan, their their freshman starting offensive tackle, is is going to be a dude. But elsewhere on the roster, it just feels like kind of a Colorado-ish roster. Like just when you look at the names, it's just it just feels a little bit. Uh, you know, Calish or something. You know, it's not UCLA is supposed to be one of the juggernauts of the conference, and it's just not there. And then you throw in, you know, they 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 lose um, Chris Murray and Theo Howard, both of those guys who are some of their better players. Chris Murray, offensive lineman, Theo Howard, wide receiver, both those guys transferring now to Oklahoma. Um, I, I don't know, man. I'm not. I I mean, I, as soon as that sort of bail on my UCLA stock I, I'm sure Chip Kelly is going to get that thing rolling and the bamboo starts growing but I'm not seeing it right now it's like uh they it, it was the UCLA brought in Chip Kelly he's gonna spend all their money not win any games and be an expensive buyout like the UCLA is going to look up at the end of this. He's the second white. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was going to say, <laughs> like UCLA is going to look up at the end of this, just sitting at the bar with like your head in a glass, telling the bartender about "Woe is me." Like you're just like, I just didn't see it coming. I just, I thought this was going to be it. And <laughs> man, I again, like this, we are not rooting against uh, Chip Kelly. And uh, we've got UCLA fans and uh, UCLA, in fact, uh, writers or UCLA fans and writers that are uh, that listen to this podcast and and you know we're chirping a little bit after our, our Rose Bowl joke and and I, I'd love to be turned to some literature that would perhaps be a little bit more positive. But man, right now I don't I'm I'm with you, Barton. I don't I don't know uh, I don't see where it's at. I don't see where the I don't see where the positivity is that I can hang on if I'm going into the 2020 season, especially given uh, all of the uncertainty and all the time away from campus. All right. Turning our attention to a former NFL coach who does seem to be having things going in the right direction. Uh, it is, of course, Herm Edwards and the Arizona State Sun Devils. I, back-to-back 7-5 and five regular seasons for Herm on its surface, I think was... I would say is a strong start, obviously well exceeding the expectations in year one. Last year was a little bit strange, uh, just in terms of the flow, uh, five and one to start the season, and then four straight losses, and then you close with three straight wins, including uh, victories against Oregon and then against Florida State in the bowl game in a ugly, ugly, ugly game. I don't think there was a single 
offensive touchdown maybe in that game. Uh, they blocked it from memory. They they lose, you know, Benjamin and Brandon Ayuk from the offensive side of the ball. But Jaden Daniels is back for his sophomore season. Defensive coordinator Danny Gonzalez, uh, we met as we as the new coach of New Mexico, and Marvin Lewis now comes to the staff to join Antonio Pierce. They will be co-defensive coordinators. The NFL blood running strong, but I'm not scoffing at that because Herm Edwards has already got some proof in the pudding that just because you're coming from the NFL doesn't mean that we should rule you out as being a successful college coach. Antonio Pierce as well, who I think has done some really strong development at the linebacker position. I like where they're at at linebacker. I like where they are at the defensive backs. Uh, like Jane Daniels, maybe is going to be in contention with uh, Akeen Slovis with, let's see, you know, may- maybe with uh, Anthony Brown, you know, with as one of the top quarterbacks in the entire Pac-12. And, and heck, I mean, one of y'all could make the argument that Jane Daniels should be the uh, the best quarterback in the Pac-12 going into 2020. So, you know, we, we said it, Arizona State or USC, that's the, that's the conversation for the Pac-12 South. Is it too much to suggest that after back-to-back seven and five seasons, Herm with Jaden Daniels in his sophomore year might be able to crash the Pac-12 championship picture, flirt with double-digit wins? I think, I mean, they they need to – it's an interesting team because I think there's a lot of confidence. um, But Brandon Ayuk is a first-round talent at wide receiver – uh, you know, they've got to replace, obviously, you know, Benjamin is gone, who was a workhorse for the last two years. Like they've got to replace some significant talent around Jaden Daniels. And they've, they recruited off like that. That was a priority of this recruiting class in, in 2020. And they, they knocked it out of the park, like 10 out of 10 in terms of the way they addressed skill talent around Jaden Daniels. But those are still a bunch of freshmen. And so they come in like it's it's a lock basically that uh, Diamante Trianum and Daniel Ngata are are two true freshmen that are going to be sharing the backfield duties. Um, they've got like four wide receivers coming in that if they're not starting, they'll get significant like starter caliber reps at wide receiver. And again, very talented crew, but. I don't know how like that's that's the thing that worries me about Arizona State is how confident can we feel. Even even as we we gain confidence in Arizona State from a a, a just program building perspective, um, how confident can we feel in the in all the guys that are coming in defensively? They return a lot. Their secondary is stacked. Uh, Jack Jones is the the transfer from USC is supposed to have a breakout year this year. Like they they Merlin Robertson, who's like all American as a fresh true freshman all American. Like he's he had a step back year. Expect he'll be really good again this year at linebacker. Like they're just, they're very, they're very sound defensively. Um, you know what? What can we lump onto the expectations of this this true freshman skill group? Is kind of my big question. And and spring practice was going to be pretty critical and important in, in sort of determining that. Yeah, this is a volatile commodity. Like yeah, it's well said. Yeah, with. With like you mentioned, all the young skill players coming in. Like, if things click, this team has the kind of talent where they could do really well. Like Jaden Daniels takes a step forward. Everybody else around him 
hits the ground running, they could take off. It's just with that same youth and inexperience, there's also, you know, the lower floor. If things go bad, you know, we're talking about a team that if they missed a bowl game like at five and seven, that wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the world. I just think that if you're breaking down the teams in this division, they're far more likely to compete with USC than anybody else right now. And also, you know, they've got Zach Hill has come in from Boise State to be the offensive coordinator. And I feel like Arizona State has a new offensive coordinator like every single year, ever since Mike Norvell left, whatever happened to that guy. I feel like they bring in a new OC every single year, and that's the case again here. So it's like I'm wondering what the offense is going to look like because Boise's offense has not really been – it's not pro style, but it's not what I would consider like as spread-ish as what we saw. And I think that Jane Daniels is a very – He's not a. He's not. He's. A, he could be considered a dual threat. Although I don't think Dan, Jane Daniels is a runner as much as he's a quarterback who can run. Oh no, he's fourth. Fourth quarter, Jane Daniels might be an All American. Quarters one through three, Jane Daniels, TBD. Because yeah. they kind of protected him a little. Like they didn't. They they treated him like a true freshman, and then when the game was on the line, they they let him. They let him roll. Like they just said, go out and win. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see what Zach Hill comes in and what, they, what they're what they willing to do with Jaden and how they plan to use him. So that's somewhat of an unknown. So again, it's that's why I just, this is a team that has a wide range of possible outcomes. It could be very good. It could be playing for Pac-12 title. It could be last year's Utah in a strange way. It's just, it could also be a team that finishes four and eight or five and seven. I like the, I like the we can, we can be excited about Arizona State as a program and big picture but then we can also probably understand that it might be more of a 2021 team for that jump than necessarily for 2020. Yeah, so. we should very much, the three of us should very much get on the Arizona State in 2021 bandwagon right now. <laughs> yeah, can, I, can, I, can, can we start saying that? Yeah. Because this is, this is a team, this is a team that could, could win the Pac-12 South. I could see that. I could also see Arizona State having a like a, a borderline dramatic like reset, just uh, just you know, hey, things aren't cl- things don't click. It's just a some things fall, the, the the ball bounces kind of the wrong way a couple times. Couple guys get injured, and and all of a sudden you're looking at a five and seven season or something like that. But 2021, woo. This is a this is a this is an Arizona State podcast in 2021. No, no doubt. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, now on to uh, the end of the cellar. Come on down, guys. Let's go. Uh, Colorado five and seven last year, three and six in conference play. Uh, Mel Tucker, we I liked his shorts on the sideline, but man, you know if. If I thought that this was going to be like a good defensive team under Mel Tucker, it was bad. Uh, Not a good defensive team. And, you know, even like looking at Steven Montez, a player who's been really productive, LaVisca Chenault, who has been at times one of the best uh, wide receivers in the entire country, the offense started pretty good, and then even that started to trail off a little bit. So Mel Tucker makes the February exit to go to Michigan State. The hire of Carl Durrell, uh, you know, here on this podcast got kind of a, uh, well, you know, we'll, we'll see how this goes. You know, he, uh, we've mentioned this a couple times, but, you know, Darren Shiverini sticks around. A couple other important staffers are retained, but man, like expectations, expectations right now seem to be that Colorado might be one of the worst 
power five teams in the entire country in 2020. And so, you know, like where, where are the shiny objects? Where is the, the hope is this, is, is it a year zero thing for Carl Durrell? And, and if so, you know, how do you sell that to the fan base? I, I have no idea. I mean, I have very low, low hopes for Colorado in 2020. I mean, if you're a Colorado fan and the college football season this year is canceled, you're probably not all that upset to be honest, (laughs) but it's just, I, even without the current situation, when you're on your third head coach in three seasons and this one, the one, the latest one was hired at such an odd time in the cycle as he was, that doesn't usually work out well for you in that first season in a normal time, in a time where there's no spring practice and we don't know the season might be delayed and coaches aren't able to get in and work with the players. And you're also replacing your quarterback. And it's just, it's, it's going to be a bad year for Colorado. I, I just don't see a scenario where this team is having a happy season. Like if they get to six and six and go bowling, Carl Durrell should get a lifetime deal. I, I yeah, agree. That, that, that's what's so like. That's what's so mind-boggling about the the Mel Tucker. Let's pay him six million dollars or whatever they're paying him higher because, our, like, if Mel Tucker stayed there, did we even expect this team to be good? No. When I, you're in the bar at three a.m. and there's only three people left in it, they all look a lot more attractive. Uh, and and like so, what like what would Mel Tucker like would would miss if if if, and I think we probably all agree that a, a, maybe a five and seven Colorado season last year or this year I mean would be something that is encouraging, you know you feel feel like they probably beat a few teams you didn't expect them to beat, had some good moments like uh, things are things are on course if that was the case. But if, if Mel Tucker had five and seven last next year, is does he like is that is anyone defending uh, him being hired as a head coach somewhere like Michigan State for like six million dollars? I don't. I mean, surely not. No. Uh, so I think this is just such a fascinating deal. And so then, so that's that's their starting point. And now you've got Carl Durrell coming in, who's not someone that I'm overly excited about, and that he has no time to work with him in the in the spring. His coaching staff is basically the guys that Mel Tucker didn't bring with them to Michigan State, and they got to get a new quarterback. And like, I don't know, man. Oh, and Lavisca Chenault's gone. <laughs> yeah, and your best player's gone. I don't know. Some, so like, Colorado, Colorado people, let me know what we're missing here. The, is there where where's where's the reason for optimism? I mean, and by the way, Mel Tucker going three and six at Michigan State in twenty twenty would not surprise me. Like the the fact that Colorado Colorado went three and six in conference play this year last year with Mel Tucker, and it wasn't you know because they still had so many familiar names. It you were like okay that that seems about right, but. I don't. I mean, I think three wins for Carl Durrell in 2020 would be a, a big success. Three conference wins would be uh, a successful season for Colorado, in my opinion. That would be great. Will, great. Yeah. Yeah. I will. I will say, as far as Mel Tucker, to get kind of off. I think that the team Mel Tucker is inheriting at Michigan State 
is better suited for what he wants his team to ultimately be than the team he inherited at Colorado. Like you mentioned Mm. at the top, Chip, like this defense last year was bad, and you would think that Mel Tucker, the one thing he would come in and fix was the defense, but I just think that he inherited a bad defense and wasn't really able to fix it in one year. So, all right. Yeah, that's been like, because all of that isn't even supposed to be like a knock on Mel Tucker. He could, I could see him being very successful at Michigan State, and I think that he is, uh, I do think that that's a it's a fit for him. It's just a it's just such a weird deal that he commanded so much money when I don't think they would have been good next year even no. with him. No, they'd have been struggling to get to a bowl game again next year. Yeah, I got, I mean this is uh, is it answerless Arizona. Arizona was four and eight, just two and seven in conference play. Uh, Kevin Sumlin's almost on the, a reverse Chip Kelly here. Now, granted, he was hired uh, much later in the process, but while Chip Kelly has improved from three wins to four wins, um, Kevin Sumlin has gone from five wins to four wins overall, four wins to two wins in conference play, four and eight overall, two and seven in conference play. They fired defensive coordinator Marcel Yates eight games into the season. And look, there were... A few victories early, like, you know, beat Texas Tech, beat UCLA, beat Colorado, and then the bottom really fell out. Seven straight losses to close the season. Uh, some of it I wouldn't necessarily, like, reflect specifically on the state of the program with late, I mean, they ran into Oregon and Utah, two top 10 teams in mid-November when the season was lost. So the fact that they were woeful and just sort of like barely were competitive and maybe just not competitive in two, a pair of like 35 to seven, 35 to six type losses to the best teams in the conference. I'm not going to you know penalize that, but still Arizona was went from starting the year to thinking Khalil Tate, Kevin Sumlin, let's see if, you know, maybe this can happen this year to by, you know, late October, November. We, we really weren't even talking, really weren't even thinking much about the Wildcats. So as we go into year three with Kevin Sumlin, I, I'm, I continue to lack an answer for why we should be excited or why this should work uh, for the Wildcats in Tucson. It would have, would have been nice to get a spring in again, like another uh, – get a little bit more comfort with Grant Gannell as a as a starting quarterback and as a – just sort of how, how how high should our expectations be with with him under center and with this offense with him under center. And I, I, don't, I don't really have a good feel for, for what my expectations should be for that. Um, you know, they got Brendan Schooler coming in, uh, the transfer from Oregon, who's – his brother is a linebacker for Arizona uh, at wide receiver. Um, you mentioned they fired their D coordinator. Man, they they got rid of the whole defensive staff pretty much. <laughs> like everybody's yeah. gone, so they got a bunch of new faces on the defensive staff to come in and kind of install their their scheme. But it was a bad, pretty bad defense last year. Um, so I don't know. Like I, this is this is another one where I don't really have confidence in Kevin Sumlin. And it's hard to blame you because as you went over chip, since he came to Arizona, Sumlin is nine and 15 overall six and 12 in the conference. But since Johnny Manziel left, because we never like Sumlin was like a big name. Sumlin was an up and coming rising coach. He was a big deal at Texas A&M and things kind of faded since Manziel's Heisman season. Kevin Sumlin as a coach is 49 and 39 overall. 
25 and 37 in conference play. That's just kind of a run of the mill coach. And I don't know, like unless Grant Cannell takes a big step forward and is a big deal. And again, we talked about it earlier, you know, the PAC 12 South could prove to be a very, very bad division overall, which means that there's a good chance that one of these teams we have low expectations for, will be able to take advantage of that and have like a, a season that comes out of nowhere. It's just, Arizona has done nothing in the last couple of years to make me think it's going to be them this year. You know, they had the, they had Khalil Tate. They inherited Khalil Tate. Remember when Khalil Tate was pissed off that uh, they were going to hire Ken Neomatololo? Oh yes. my gosh. And he like, he like social media vetoed the hire. And, and then because he didn't want to be a triple option quarterback. Well, you know, now, so they get Kevin Sumlin and granted, Khalil Tate had dealt with injuries the last couple of years. Um, but they, he was a, sort of purely a pocket guy and they, they sort of neutered him intentionally or by necessity or whatever. Like we got nothing out of Khalil Tate for the most part over the last couple of years. And, and now I guess Noel Mazzoni and, and Kevin Sumlin have got their, their true passing quarterback and Grant Cannell. I just don't have a ton of confidence that it's going to suddenly, you know, start to to turn up offensively in a. I mean, I know they've had their moments on offense, but um, JJ Taylor's gone now. I don't know, man. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really super stoked about this Arizona team. Mm-mm. I don't. Also, not a very friendly schedule either. Like. Their non-con is Hawaii, Portland State, and then at Texas Tech. That's not murderous, but Arizona is not in a position where I think that they're guaranteed to win two of those games. They might win just the one. But in conference, they're at UCLA, at Washington, at Utah, at Oregon State. At home, they get Colorado, which, okay, that should be a win. But then they get USC, Oregon, and Arizona State. So three of their tougher games are at home where you, you know, like I've always maintained, I'd rather have my easy games at home to help guarantee their wins. Yeah. Yeah, um, I might might be taking the under on uh, on Arizona. The only fear being that the under might be set too low. Just just everybody piling on, but uh, we will see. All right, next week we will begin to turn our attention to the Big Twelve. We will also take a look at some dark horse candidates and uh, LSU's rebuild as they have so much to replace from one of the greatest college football teams of all time. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Don't forget, tell one friend. If you listen to this podcast, everyone's looking for recommendations of stuff to do, stuff to listen to. Just go tell one friend about the Cover 3 podcast. We appreciate it from the bottom of our hearts. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Congrats to all of you who had the under on Mike Leach issuing an apology for a tweet during the quarantine. <laughs> Hold on. He's done it twice now. He's done it twice, right? <laughs> yeah, twice. Yeah. That's, that, was, that was easy money, boys. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get into yep. that on the show. Pass. Pass. <laughs> Later. Later. Later.